Good morning, everybody, and um, welcome to the cafe. Uh, we're particularly delighted to have so many new subscribers this month. Um, cafe is our monthly leadership magazine, picking interesting topics and interviewing successful leaders uh, for their tips. Uh, our hope is that you find this useful and inspirational in your own leadership challenges. As, as you know, uh, Alembic helps organizations to discover and gain alignment around their options for improvement and change, and then has a wide range of support options for delivery, including M&A, board support, strategic training, coaching, amongst other things. And I think the cafe is a nice way to connect with you all and share our thinking. Uh, we'll be really pleased to have any suggestions from you for subjects and for improvements to this, uh, or for people um, that you would like us uh, to interview in the future. And just uh, a little bit of information, we've got quite a few of these recorded now, and we've just set them up as a YouTube channel. And we're just thinking about connecting with um, a podcast um, and doing some sort of shorts to um, pick up some of the really inspirational things that um, leaders say on the, on the show, uh, which um, is kind of a quick way to access things and maybe helpful for the wider team. So um, just check back on that. Um, quick intro um, from me in a second, and then we're going to move to uh, the sort of dish of the day, which is to interview uh, Neil, who's Sheriff of London. Um, I'm going to wrap up with some comments on leadership from a slightly different angle and then take questions. Uh, summary around about nine o'clock, and then you can go back to your desks. And I'm just before we start, you know, hope everybody's had a reasonable journey in this morning. It was absolutely crazy weather out there, and I'm surprised that we actually made it here, uh, if I'm honest. So, just by way of introduction, I think the background to the interview today is about organisations leading uh, in their own right. So this first line of the slide here, uh, organisation performance emerges from skilled people in clear roles coordinating together for a purpose. Um, that word emergence is an interesting one that many of you will have heard. It gets talked about in physics so, or in science. You know, some scientists believe that our consciousness is an emergent property of having um, you know 20 or so evolved intelligence all crammed into one head and what happens when they all come together is we get this thing called consciousness and organizations are like that too for example if you think about something simple like the army uh, and you might need a tank team and maybe you need five skilled people to drive a tank and you put one person in there the tank won't work you put seven people in there, it's too crammed and they can't operate. So five is the right number. And with five skilled people sitting for their role in the right um, place in the team, the tank becomes really effective. And if the army can create 100 tanks, it gains power by that, strength by that, which is more than any of the individuals could deliver on their own. And it's, that's an emergent property. It's a very simple idea, really. And um, it could be purely commercial, but but my point, and you may disagree with me on this, is that all organisations, if they've got that right, and it's not easy to get that right, you can have people badly organised, but if you get the organisation right, you get the right numbers in the right spots, the organisation gains emergent power. And my view is that because of that, all organisations have a responsibility to lead. Um, it's very simple for that power to be hijacked by one or a few individuals for their own individual purposes and so i think for me it's a mistake for organizations to see themselves as purely commercial they always need to have um, a leadership objective and that leads me into the presentation so today is about an ancient corporation and how it leads and how duty and tradition can keep it 
free of the powerful so it can retain its independence as an organization and lead in its own right and that's why i'm absolutely delighted to have neil redcliffe on the panel this morning uh, to talk about his experiences and his role as sheriff of london well welcome neil oh hi hi morning good morning all morning morning so tell us a little bit about you oh goodness right um well, really, you and I uh, got to know each other um, probably 12, 15 years ago, Nick. Um, uh, I'd had a uh, property development uh, business. Uh, we specialized in working on um, uh, period buildings. Um, and so we worked together back then. I changed that business. Um, actually, well, that was actually 20 years ago. I co-founded a foreign exchange business called Currencies Direct and spent the last uh, 20 years of my business career um, working in Currencies Direct and building a very successful business, uh, which I sold two years ago. Um, uh, I've always always had a, a sort of interest in the City of London. Um, that goes back nearly 40 years, actually. I've been a liveryman for 37 years, a liveryman of the um, uh, Basket Makers Company, and I'm a liveryman of a number of other companies. But uh, I've, I've got a great interest, which, yeah, as I said, goes back a, a long time. Um, I became an alderman in, in 2009 um, and sheriff in 2017, so I'm currently a sheriff of the City of London. Living, living at the Old Bailey, which is really interesting. So um, I'm, uh, you also got me into uh, livery, which I completely love, and uh, I think you invited me along to a wonderful lunch at one point. We talk about lunching in a minute, but just tell us a little bit about the city and how it works, and you know, why did you decide to take that career further and go into um, being sheriff? Well, the interest was uh, my grandfather was a, a common councilman of the um, city, an elected member of the City of London Corporation. And so um, going nearly 40 years back, I went electioneering with him and I got to know lots of the people who were involved with the um, City of London Corporation. And, and I, I took a real interest and uh, uh, eventually decided it was time for me to get elected. Um, the City of London Corporation is a, is a really unusual organization. It has the... Um, it carries out the function, uh, or part of its function is to um, is to carry out the duties of a of a local authority, a London borough. But it really is not a London borough. It's a very ancient organisation. It didn't get reorganised in the 1880s when um, all the London boroughs were were formed into their, in, in, into a similar sort of shapes that they are now. Um, it traces its sort of history back to 1067. Um, so it's 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 getting on for nearly a thousand years old. Um, 1067. We, we all know your history. That in 1066, William the Conqueror came to um, uh, to, to this country and uh, pretty much took the country over. Um, all the land changed hands. It went from the Anglo-Saxons to the Normans. Um, but he was very. He had a different view on the city, um, and he uh, looked at the merchants of the city of London who'd been trading very successfully for hundreds of years, um, and decided to grant them. Uh, their rights, privileges, and customs um, that they'd previously had. So in other words, he didn't change um, the, the city merchants. Uh, the reason he didn't change it was because um, because they were actually very good at generating wealth. Um, and William the Conqueror was interested in wealth because he was interested in taxation. So um, he always saw the city as a source of, of, um, of revenue for his, his monarchy. Um, he, he reminded the city of his power by um, building the Tower of London right next to the city, just to make sure that the city knew uh, where the um, military and political power uh, stood. But the city and the, and the monarchy and, and the sort of power of the monarchy has been sort of negotiated 
over hundreds and hundreds of years, and the city has gradually uh, increased its sort of um, its position by electing a Lord Mayor, by electing sheriffs, etc., uh, etc. Et I think it's so so interesting. I can't believe how timely this interview is with the Radio Four commentary this morning about President Macron coming, actually going to Sandhurst, which is kind of like maybe some in some ways equivalent to the Tower of London, and yeah, um, yeah. talk about bringing the Bayeux Tapestry over. It's a kind of really amazingly, you know, um, serendipitous timing uh, today. But there you go. How interesting. So tell me a little bit about your role as sheriff then. Um, I mean, I was fascinated to come over to the Old Bailey and see the interconnection with the judges there, the murder yeah. trial. Tell us a little bit about that and how that works. Yeah, well, the, the, the sheriff uh, um, is, is elected. Um, uh, it's, an, it's an office uh, of one year. There are, in fact, two sheriffs of the City of London. Um, we are elected in June. We come into office in September. So I've been uh, in the role for the last sort of three and a half months. Um, our, our primary objective um, as, as sheriffs is to support the Lord Mayor um, of the City of London, and the Lord Mayor's primary objective is to um, support the objectives of the City of London Corporation. Now, it's a really unusual organisation in that it has a, um, a, a primary objective uh, is to promote what it always did, which was um, wealth creation. Um, so the city is there, the City Corporation is there to promote financial and professional service industries of this country. So it's not just the City of London, it's not the Square Mile, it's not London, it's it's the UK. And it has as its purpose um, to promote those industries in this country and worldwide. So the Lord Mayor, who is also in office for, for just one year, um, is the principal uh, spokesman for the um, City Corporation and is the principal ambassador um, and will spend about 100 days of, uh, of the year in office uh, traveling overseas, um, taking business delegations overseas, um, meeting businesses, meeting politi uh, politicians and other uh, leaders ac across the world to promote this country and to promote trade with this country. So um, it's, a, it's an important um, role internationally. Um, we use the facilities of the, the corporation um, to uh, give hospitality to, to business delegations and politicians and all sorts of people. Um, who visit this country, um, you know, both from around the UK and, and internationally. So, um, again, with that primary objective of promoting those industries. And those industries, they, they, they matter. Um, and they matter for, um, for reasons of, of employment. Um, the industries in the UK uh, employ 2.2 million people. Um, also, in terms of, of, of the ability to um, the tax take, the tax take from these industries is in the region of 72 billion pounds, which is is enough to pay for um, nearly nearly uh, was about 80 percent of our education and training budget, and about half the cost of our, our national health service. So um, that's a hell of a lot of tax. It's also a huge export industry, and, and, and it exports in the region of 76 billion. Um, so it's one of our greatest exports. Um, so it's important, it matters, promoting these industries. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? I think when you think about the city as a cluster um, with all the different facilities that it has for uh, global trade, I mean, in a way, I think it makes sense that um, the uh, technology marketplace in the City of London and digital marketplace has uh, grown so well and become such a sort of global focal point for uh, developing technology because Technology business is, you know, almost by its nature, um, instantly global these days. Yeah, and yeah. London, London and some of the other technology centres like Cambridge and Oxford and other places in Scotland, etc., are great. But uh, London has that. 
uh, incredible power of bringing the resources together to um, help support it. Yeah. Um, and that infrastructure piece is something that's very important to the corporation, I think, isn't it? Making it a great yeah. place to work. I think I think the word cluster is really important, and this is where you have lots of businesses in the same sort of sector, which are relatively close together. Um, for example, the insurance industry around Lime Street. Um, when you have these clusters, you have real, real good competition um, and huge innovation, um, which makes these these businesses, you know, world beaters. They can they can compete on a world basis because of that sort of competition and innovation. I was, I was sort of mentioning about sort of supporting the Lord Mayor. Um, I'm I'm going to be going um, to Australia um, uh, and New Zealand for ten days with the Lord Mayor um, coming up in in, in February. Uh, and what we are doing is we're taking a business delegation um, of, of fintech businesses. These are young, very energetic, very talented um, people who have got some really really good businesses, um, which are early sort of stage. And then we're taking them over to Australia. Um, to meet lots of um, financial institutions, banks, um, and other technology businesses to look at um, selling our technology from this country and also um, seeing you know, what they are doing, finding out what they can and where we can collaborate and, and sort of cooperate. So, yeah, we, we, we try to support the, um, the, the tech industries in this country. We do a good job of it as well, actually. I think, I think it's really incredible. I'm um, so um, um, uh, fantastic. And guys uh, listening, you know, put in your questions. There's a question area. Neil will be happy to answer questions at the end. I think it's a fascinating topic. Uh, and to be honest, you know, in 15, 20 minutes, we're not going to do it justice this morning. But um, we've heard, I think, there, you know, really resonantly a little bit about the infrastructure of the city and how it works as a cluster and how its civic leaders, including uh, the Lord Mayor, the Sheriff, the other officers, use that office and role to lead. Uh, they are um, putting their shoulders to the wheel to try and lead uh, ambassadorially and from the business community globally and try and create opportunities for, for UK PLC to be successful, which is, which is great for tax, for our state, for jobs, for purpose, for meaning in life, etc. And um, I'm just kind of interested in the, um, the protection of the corporation. It's been around for you know, over a thousand years. And it was really interesting to me coming to listen to the murder judges. I spent a bit of time in one of the trials over yeah, the Old yeah. Bailey um, with you, Neil. And um, the judges were saying that a uh, key part of the way it operates is that um, the organization prevents executive interference. And so they have uh, independence, judicial independence. And you can just see how important that is. So just tell us a little bit about how it prevents itself from being hijacked. What are the, what are the methods it uses? Yeah, just I, I mean I, I didn't I, I must just tell you a little bit about the old Bailey and why why I'm there and and then I'll come come back to the sort of corporation because um, the City of London Corporation that owns the Central Criminal Court it's quite a, an ancient sort of relationship and you found that the um, the great cities in the United Kingdom um, used to build and um, have a close sort of connection uh, with their courts in terms of buildings and in terms of pride in those those buildings. Um, sadly, that was all reorganised um, some decades ago, um, and the city um, still has this relationship with the Central Criminal Court. So the, the sheriffs of the city of London, who have a, a relationship with it as, as part of the judiciary going back to Anglo-Saxon times, um, wow. are able to reside at the um, at, at the Old Bailey, and we have a great, we use it um, really. We, we look after the well-being of the judges by providing a um, a, a very um, good building. Um, we we uh, we give them lunch uh, every day, which is unusual. Most most judges today have to go out and get their own sandwiches. 
Um, we give them lunch. And what we're able to do from that is bring uh, people from all over the world, and all over walks of life in to tell them about the city and also to tell them about the judiciary. And we, um, we do. We're very fortunate in the UK in having the best judiciary um, in the world. It is independent. Um, you, you get to become a judge. It's not because you've trained as, as, as you do in, in France. You can go to a law school to train as a judge in, in France. You get, um, you get appointed as a judge in the UK because um, of your integrity and your reputation. And that's a very, very hard one. Um, and, and so you, you don't get there easily. They only get the people who have got the best uh, value systems and, and um, uh, appointed. So we're very, we're very fortunate to, to, to have this very close sort of connection with them. Um, in terms of the city corporation, I, in terms of, uh, um, of power of, of sort of leaders in the corporation, well, um, I think I've mentioned that uh, the Lord Mayor is only appointed for one year um, and the sheriffs are only appointed for one year. So you don't get uh, individuals sort of hijacking. You have, you have a system there that, that is, you know, the office is, 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 is the point. The point is that the office of Lord Mayor is the important bit. That is the continuity. That is the thing that changes, uh, sorry, that, that continues over time. Um, when you have a new Lord Mayor each year, they have, um, you know, they, are, they can't take over. Um, they do a hell of a lot of, of very good work, and they do that because they've been preparing for it for a very long period of time. Um, you know, they will have been, uh, to become Lord Mayor, you, you will have been Sheriff, so you will have been working very hard um, to get to Sheriff um, and, and in your year of office, and then you either have a year or two between being Sheriff and, and Lord Mayor, where you would have done extraordinarily long, hard preparation work, so that when you become Lord Mayor, you hit the ground running, you deliver as much as, as, as you possibly can in your year of office, uh, and then you're out. Um, and when you're out at the end of it, um, what happens is you have uh, a system called PERDA. Um, and this means that the Lord Mayor, um, when he's finished his term of office in November, um, is actually not welcomed back into the city for six months. Um, so they, um, they, they, can't, they don't really get involved for, for six months. Once they're through that six-month period, then um, past Lord Mayors are asked to, to, to help. Um, uh, they're still involved in the sense that you know, if the Lord Mayor is travelling overseas, then a past Lord Mayor might be asked to step in and, and, and deal with a particular duty um, in the UK. So um, they're never really not involved, but, but you know, the power doesn't continue through the individual. It's wonderful. Uh, I think it's really good. And I'm, in a minute, I'm just going to draw sort of um, um, parallels back to business life and how to handle these things in business life and where the, the, the resonances and relevances are. Uh, just uh, with a minute left while we're just chatting, um, I, I um, the other part of um, the, I think these things are all too easily taken for granted. And uh, it's uh, actually when you, um, when you uh, dig into what goes on in the city of London corporation and the, you know, in judges, for example, yeah. you appreciate just how important our privileges as citizens are by contrast with other states where yeah. this independence and fairness is not not maintained sometimes people struggle to uh, make a point of um democratic ways or perhaps british ways as a as a particular version of democracy but this separation of duty and um time limited office and um checks on the executive uh, which are sort of here um you know shown in the city of london corporation are fundamental to our freedoms and it just is so good here in a way yeah. you could almost not notice it and take it for granted, but it's fundamentally important. And I, I just wanted you to reflect on the, because uh, civic life is about volunteering, really. No one does this for money, um, no, or maybe no. 
doing it for money but you know and there's a big charitable kind of part to it as yes. well so let me just yeah. well the, none of none of the the elected um uh, members of the corporation so you have the lord mayor the court of aldermen um the sheriffs and the common council but none of none of them are paid so that's that that's the sort of starting point um the next point is is um we don't have party politics in the in the, in the city of london corporation um uh, i'd say sort of 95 percent of the people who are elected stand as independents um and and that is that really sort of matters it means that the corporation when it is um, carrying out its its work, it has to interrelate with with government. Um, it does a great deal of work with, with with other local authorities in London and central government in terms of um, promoting London, promoting the UK. Um, but it doesn't have a political angle, and that means it's really really easy to get work done and to do. You know, we can work with any um, political party, any any government in power, um, and have a very very good sort of dialogue and and, and get a great deal of work work done. So. I think that's quite an important part of um, uh, of, of how the corporation works. You mentioned the sort of charity. Um, he, he, the Lord Mayors um, run, a, run a charity um, in, in their years of office. Um, this has historically been a, a one-year sort of charity of supporting maybe three or four charities over one year. Um, that has changed, and we're working on a, a sort of continuum of and, and the current Lord Mayor, Alderman Charles Bowman, um, has started this initiative where they're actually supporting three charities for three years and they're really good charities are looking at mental health in adults mental health in children um, and trying to help those youngsters who um, teenagers with nothing to do and no place to go um, so the three very uh, important needs in society um, and they're very good charities which which are supported so again the, you know the, the sheriffs support the lord mayor and that the lord mayor has a um, a huge number of, of people who volunteer and help to raise funds for these charities, and they're very ambitious actually, and and, and they have a an aim over the three year, the next sort of three year cycle, um, to make a difference to the lives of a million people, and that's that's ambitious, um, and it's great. Um, we also run a charity at the um, at the Old Bailey um, to look um, at the needs of of people who are in prison to try and help them with with uh, with training and, and education so that they can. Um, reintegrate into society and work most importantly uh, find work when they come out but it also the charity that we work on uh, also helps uh, prisoners families who who suffer um, often suffer great hardship when when spouses and uh, you know are in prison so yeah there's a, there's a very uh, important um, charity and, and sort of volunteering side to, to what goes on in the city and that's just actually you know what I've mentioned there is just the tip of the iceberg um, you know the corporation has a um, a fund called the City Bridge Trust, which is um, giving to city, um, so to sort of London charities, all the boroughs around London, um, helping charities in those areas, um, and they're giving in the region of about 20 million a year. Um, and then you've got the livery companies, and the, the livery companies are uh, spend a great deal of, of their uh, voluntary work and, and money, which is sort of collected for charitable purposes on education in the region of about 50 million a year. So there's, a, there's an enormous amount of good work that goes on in, 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 in the city, in London, in the UK. I think that's absolutely amazing stuff and um, really inspiring. Um, and um, just thank you for that. And I know you're happy to stay around for questions. We've got a few questions coming through from people. So um, I'm, I'm just going to take on um, the, uh, the discussion, Neil, and sort of try and highlight some of the key points around organizational power and um, purpose and then and then maybe we can come back to questions in a few minutes sure. um, 
So um, uh, I, I think that's really interesting um, that, uh, in a way, the uh, the culture of um, uh, civic um, contribution uh, that the City of London Corporation embodies also encourages that uh, giving back in terms of charitable charitable support. But the key points here for me, just on on Pat on the PowerPoint, um, uh, government and governance um, really important ways of. Um, Putting check on corporations and on individuals, so the law, but then also um, having that independence uh, built into your corporate structure, so there is proper oversight of some of the key elements and levers of power and influence within the business to keep its purpose on track and to prevent the individual from personalising uh, it and taking it over. Um, that idea of separation of institutions. So um, Neil's point about what happens with the um, with the judges. And I, I, I definitely heard that when talking to them, that they are free of inter, inter, interference. And you can be quite cynical about these things, but actually watching the murder court uh, trials go through, you know, there's real independence and fairness in there. Everyone is heard. And I think one of the things that came through really strongly was that um, uh, on all sides of the case, people, one of the things they did say was, I have my chance in court. I have my chance to be heard. It was, you know, they, they did listen to my side of the story. And so you do get that freedom from executive interference, which, you know, we can see in other countries around the world, you know, just causes horrific problems for citizens. It makes it very difficult for people to um, uh, live purposeful lives, live with freedom, live with opportunity. Um, so very, very important. It must be cherished. But then think about your company. How does how does that work inside your company? How can you create that independence? We've heard lots of stories about individuals in positions of control even in you know smallish commercial companies really abusing their power over other people in the organization uh, the abuse of power trope at the moment is 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 pretty horrific and so it it does demand the individuals to hold to that idea of duty and office rights and obligations and this idea this concept of rotation and oversight and i think also this concept of tradition and written constitution forms a key part of that so i think they're really important things and what they do is that when you've got your team together um, and you've got the right numbers and everyone's playing in the right role, just thinking about that from how you create power in your organization, um, you know, you need individuals to be able to play a couple of roles and be interchangeable. You need that defense in depth. But when you play in front of the crowd under pressure, you need those 15 people to stay in post. You, you can't have your fullback, you know, playing uh, too far out of position before you start to lose. And so that concept of um, where do I sit and holding to my duty and maintaining my obligations is a bit of an old fashioned sounding concept. But actually thinking even about rugby is fundamental to generating that emergent power. And the individual may not be able to see that, understand that, know that they just need to play their spot and play with the people immediately around them. But the consequence of playing in your role and sticking to your duty and holding your obligation is that the team itself becomes really purposeful and that can be pure so it's worth thinking about that how organizations can lead and how they're more than the sum of the people it's a bit of a cliche but i think it's really true and how organizational capabilities emerge and you know do you have that clear focus and purpose do you have that coordination of roles and the clear delineation of roles uh, within the organization um, it, it can be very specific. The number can be really important in that. So actually getting it right is, is tricky, as I'm sure many of you know. Um, so I kind of think that's quite interesting subject and worth reflecting on. And so here are some 
ideas of different types of leadership. And it's not not uh, the single thing here, but we've got the City of London there. Uh, European Medicals Agent and Medical Medicines Agency is a sort of a quango, if you like, but um, a really powerful organization which has been defensive of society against the sort of spread of um, epidemics and disease and in promoting new inoculations and public health. Tesla, I think, is really interesting because, um, you know, it's a, it's a corporation, it has a commercial purpose, but a leader in technology innovation in a way, um, really having an opinion and a position on the innovation side of the market. And then similarly in the UK, Rolls-Royce, it's um, in the news this morning, but um, absolutely a for, uh, for at the forefront of leadership in terms of uh, engineering innovation. And in a sense, almost a state institution is so important in terms of its technology capabilities that um, as a society, we protect it. It's one of those organizations which is almost too big to fail. So just having a think about that before we get back to questions for Neil, um, do we understand power in our organization? Do we use it wisely? So are we using our position? Do we understand what position means and the office itself as a separate thing from us? Do we personalize it and feel like, feel like it is us rather than what it is, which is an office that we're holding for others? Um, what about given authority when people um, give us power over them and um, accept our leadership? Do that gives us power? Do we use that power wisely or are we using it for our own ends? So are we leading uh, or are we leaders through our organization? Can we lead with others? Can we share leadership? I think that's a good sort of um, touchstone for whether you've kind of got this concept. If you can share leaders with other in, others in your organization, then you're not personalizing it too much you're you're running the company you're not running it for, for me um so are we simply seeking to be the leader for position for ego for status for what it gives us you can tell there's always um a pull for that in in this as soon as people get that opportunity of power you know the old um cliches count about power corrupting and just thinking about what's the purpose of your organization, do you know what it is? And are there several purposes? What leadership purpose could it serve to its community, its stakeholders and its people? And have you got that clear in your mind? And are you, you know, uh, observing and honoring that possible purpose? Just really interesting questions about organizations as leaders rather than us and how we can support that. So summary from me is just what one thing will you act on uh, from today's workshop? A uh, few little things to come back to as we run up towards the end and get to questions. So there's um, go and have a look on our YouTube channel. A uh, couple of um, lovely examples there. We had a wonderful presentation from Professor David Dunaway on, on um, how to run innovation in surgery with um, children. And a great pr uh, presentation last time from Nikista Harlequin's coach on coaching for performance. And there's many more up there. Slides from today and the recording will be up there shortly. So you can subscribe to the channel and watch them, share them with your team. It's a free magazine. So, you know, please make most use of it as you can. Um, and uh, just a quick reminder, those of you who haven't booked in, our directors, uh, our leaders forum is ne uh, next week um, at um, St. Dunstan's um, place uh, over in the city, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon. So if you're interested in that, just um, come, come and let us know. And there will be uh, an easy coming up, coming up soon. So thank you very much for attending. I just wanted to go back to the question. So um, I've got a great question. Can I, can I just sort of add very, very quickly, there were two sort of points I wanted to, 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 to make. Um, one of them, what gives our country and our, our city and our, um, our financial services and, and associated with this great, great strength is, is the rule of law in this country. It's something that has been fought over and developed over centuries and centuries. And, um, and the you know, British law is, uh, sorry, English law is extremely, extremely good law, which is why 
Uh, many, many countries want to do their contracts in English law. It's a great export for us in terms of, um, of, of our lawyers working sort of overseas um, uh, and, and you know, doing contracts in English law. So we have a great, great strength there. Um, the other side is, is sort of values, and this is something I didn't have a chance to mention. Um, the, the Lord Mayor's uh, program and his initiative this year, and it's, a con it's always a continuing sort of initiative of Lord Mayor's, but it's about integrity. Um, the current theme is trust in business. Um, this is something uh, Charles Bowman has been working on. He's a partner in PwC, and he's been working on it for years, and it's really been um, taken up um, in a great way by the corporation, which is trying to promote businesses um, to build trust. Um, so you know, having that really, really sound sort of value system um, in the corporation, in the city, in, in financial services industry um, is, is fundamental. And, and financial services are not trusted. This is the research shows that you know after the global financial crisis, um, you know people do not trust financial institutions, and it's fundamental that we can build that trust again. So that that is there are two other sort of points I wanted to make, um, but I will take questions. I think I think they're 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 completely resonant with the uh, with the thrust of the argument today. And I you know um, my 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 point here, which you may or may not agree with, but my point is it is down to you know, ultimately, it does come down to the individuals and that shared culture and uh, shared culture of integrity. Um, you know, and uh, preventing um, power from being misused in this way. Got some great questions. So, first one here is about pressure. So, huge pressure on city workers um, uh, this millennium. You know, working days getting longer, expectations to participate in family life and working life growing. Um, and the question is, has this sort of time pressure emerged um, at your uh, side of things, Neil, with um, a reduction in the number of younger people volunteering for civic duty? Is, is, is there a reduction? You know, I, I actually, our, our experience is that, that the younger people are getting elected to Common Council now, um, which is a very good thing. Um, now, they are able to, and, and these are all people who are in work, um, they are able to convince their employers that they are doing you know very worthwhile work as being a member of the corporation um uh, you know it, it's it's giving back and 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 many companies are supporting people to do that just as as, as many companies um are great supporters of reservists who who um sign up uh, and have to do training and sometimes have to uh, you know operate um for our armed forces overseas um many many employers do see recognize the um um, the importance of that, but also the benefits, because the, 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 these people who get elected as common council, these people who go and fight overseas, learn all sorts of new skills, um, uh, which they bring back to their employers. So we're 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 positive. We do get a lot of young people who are who are coming forward and, and giving up a great deal of time to do um, the good work that the corporation does. Thank you, thank you. I mean, we certainly see that too. I think quite a lot of companies um, sort of bemoan the lack of leadership in the young youngsters coming through, but don't don't see it. I think there's plenty there, and um, needs to be encouraged. Um, the other question here is how do we keep uh, the city independent and discourage political parties from supporting candidates in the city elections? How do we keep that independence? Um, well, I would say um, our, our electorate for the, um, for the for the members in the in the city of London Corporation. Um, is, is about 30,000 people, and that's made up of about 10,000 uh, residents of the City of London, um, and about 20,000. There are about 20,000 business folks. Um, these are allocated. The, the, the city. Not many people live in the city. About 10,000 residents, um, and then every day we have about 400,000 people who come to work each day. Um, and so we are really, really keen for businesses to put people forward to go onto the electoral roll 
to vote um, for, for for members. Um, and so we, we take this as a, a really important right. Um, and we would encourage um, residents and businesses to think really carefully about who they elect. Um, and those who are putting themselves forward under a political ticket, um, you know, they, 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 they're coming at it from a different direction. Um, uh, they're not coming at it from the, the common sort of good from a long period, over such a long period of time of, of independence. I mean, if we did get political parties in the in the City of London Corporation, it would change the organisation dramatically. So I'm a great believer in, you know, vote, find out who you're voting for, find out, um, you know, what they're, uh, whether they are standing as independents and they're coming at it uh, as an independent. And if they're not, you know, I, it's not my position to say, but, um, you know, don't vote for them. Um, yeah. yeah. I think um, key thing there is to get information about. I think it's a um, you know for a lot of people today listening to this, uh, you know the the history and the function of the City of London Corporation would have been um, a bit of a mystery. So um, uh, really fascinating. Thank you very very much for being with us this morning. Thank you for answering those questions for the audience. I'm sure everyone's really enjoyed it. I certainly have listening to you, Neil. And um, uh, thank you, everybody. And um, we look forward to um, hearing, uh, seeing you again next time. I think the next one, I haven't advertised it, it's on the 15th of February. It's going to be on the magic numbers in business about how to get those sort of organizational figures right, not the financials, but the key things that um, affect you in the sort of mathematics of business. Uh, so kind of interesting, niche kind of topic, but uh, stuff that people don't uh, often know about. So it should be interesting. So check back in for that. And we hope you have a lovely day and thank you very much for tuning in to the Strategy Cafe in January and see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you.